All right, you guys, good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 11. We are continuing studying the book of Luke. And this morning, our text is going to be from Luke 11, verses 1 through 11. And I'm going to just read it out loud. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will you give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, though, if if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The word of the Lord. Prayer is a compelling wonder. God acts on earth in response to conversation with human beings. I'm reminded of the time that I prayed in utter desperation for Evelyn because her body, uh, her skin had been burned and was covered in blisters. Or how God made a way in the midst of a global pandemic and a plummeting stock market for us to buy our home in San Diego. Or when our family prayed that God would clearly confirm to each of our San Diego teammates that they were supposed to leave beautiful Southern California and move to Minnesota with us. And one by one, he did it. Moments of profound wonder. And yet prayer is also a mystery. God doesn't seem to always um, do what I want him to do or answer my prayers on my timetable. God still hasn't healed my dad from debilitating asthma. One of my children still struggles with anxiety. I'm still waiting for a friendship to be restored. For many of us, our prayer lives are paralyzed between wonder and mystery. This tension has caused some of us to resort to praying safe prayers. Others of us have either quit praying entirely or feel really guilty about how little we actually are praying. Yet, For Jesus, prayer was central for life with God. Prayer is simply talking with God. 
It's a back and forth conversation involving both talking and listening that comes out of the depth of a relationship. For Jesus, prayer wasn't a duty or an obligation. He genuinely enjoyed his father's company. And throughout the New Testament, we see numerous examples of Jesus praying. Jesus prayed everywhere. He prayed alone. He prayed in public and before meals. Jesus prayed all night before choosing his 12 disciples. Jesus prayed and miraculously, a deaf and mute man was healed. Jesus prayed and 5,000 people were fed from a few loaves and fishes. Jesus prayed and a storm dissipated. Jesus prayed and water miraculously turned into wine. Jesus prayed before walking on water. Jesus prayed and his dear friend Lazarus was raised from the dead. Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane when his friends abandoned and betrayed him. And Jesus prayed in the midst of unimaginable suffering as he died on the cross for our sins. The disciples had a front row seat to Jesus's prayer life and it was magnetic. Something in them said, I want to pray that way. And so they asked him, Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus's answer was the Lord's prayer. And this wasn't so much a liturgy for us to recite as much as a framework for us to follow as we pray. So Jesus begins with our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Simply understood, Jesus is teaching us to begin our prayers remembering who we are talking to. God is not far off, distant, or a disinterested being in the sky. Instead, Jesus uses the word Father so intentionally to bring to mind the most dependent and intimate of relationships. Jesus shows us that prayer isn't about a fulfilling religious obligation or a spiritual discipline. It's about communion with a person. Author Sam Gibson says, I don't pray because I love prayer. I pray because I love God and prayer is how you talk to him. The Lord's prayer starts by orienting us to the Father. Our natural orientation when we pray is often inward. We begin by looking at ourselves. It's about my plans. It's about building my kingdom. It's about relieving my struggles. Does this sound familiar to any of you? This type of prayer, which is oriented around the self, is exhausting because the burden of self-absorption is draining heavy and oppressive. But rather than looking in, Jesus starts by inviting his disciples to look up, to look up at our father. Look at how good he is. Look at how loving he is. Look at how present and available he is. Look at how much the father cares for you. When you pray, this is who you are talking to. 
when I was a little girl, I would often go and visit my grandfather. And I would always um, go into my grandparents' house, and my grandfather was always sitting in his study in his chair. And I would come in, and I would take my jacket off, and I would run through the kitchen into the family room to my grandfather in his chair. And I would get up, sit in his lap, and he would give me a huge hug. And when I think about just starting from this place of our Father in heaven, I imagine just letting myself sit in Father God's lap. Wow. That is how I position myself. Peter Gregg, founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, said, Your power in prayer will flow from the certainty that the one who made you likes you. Do you believe that today, church? Do you believe that the person you're praying to, that your Father in heaven likes you, that he cares about you? In Luke 11, Jesus proceeds to compare the Father to a reluctant neighbor and an evil father. Why would he do this? Why not compare God to a good father? This is a classic example of a rabbinic argument called Homer, which means how much more. This argument moves from the lesser to the greater. So by proving that the lesser is true, <laughs> you prove how much more true the greater is. So for example, if even a candle can bring light to a dark space, how much more can the sun? Or if even a small fire in a fireplace brings warmth to those around it, how much more can a raging bonfire? Jesus knew that for the disciples to have a powerful and satisfying life of prayer, they needed to trust the Father. And, show, and so he shows them what they already do trust in. They do trust the hospitality codes of their culture. They trusted that they could knock on the door of a neighbor and ask for what they needed without reservation. And they did trust in their family unit. In the ancient Near East, you would live your entire life in proximity to your family. Yet even then, families weren't all idyllic and fathers were far from perfect. And Jesus went so far to say in this passage that they were evil. Yet even an evil father feeds his kids. Mm. So by this logic, if your grouchy neighbor and imperfect dad are worthy of your trust, well, Kelva Homer, how much more is God worthy of your trust? Amen. Jesus uses these illustrations to show the disciples that they can trust God. Before the disciples could get stuck in some of the painful reminders of earthly fathers that they might have seen or encountered, Jesus then invites them to think of something better than that. Think of a father in heaven. Imagine what he's like. Second Chronicles 26 says that he is a God of majesty and dominion. Psalm 115.3 says he is a God of power and might. Psalm 111.4 says that he sees everything. When we remember how present, holy, loving, accessible, and good God is to us, our only natural response is praise, which is why Jesus' next line was, hallowed be your name. Mm -hmm. 
Powerful prayer is born out of adoration. When we recognize God as the only one worthy of our affection. While hallowing God's name is easy to do when you feel like it or when things are going well, it's actually most important and formative to do it when it is a choice. When you are in the middle or in the midst of painful circumstances that feel impossible. Mm. It's that decision to say, God, I still recognize you as the one that is worthy of my affection. I know the best sermons have three points, but this is my main point today, church. If you don't remember anything, what I want you to remember is remember who you are talking to when you pray. Remember who you are talking to when you pray. Your Father in heaven. Next, Jesus moves on to your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This part of the prayer shows us passion for God's glory and agenda. It's about his name, his kingdom, and his will having the top priority in our lives. Everyone wants to guard their own name and reputation, but instead of promoting ourselves first, we must put God's name, his kingdom, and his will first. Prayer isn't a tool to get what we want from God. It's a way to get God's will accomplished in us, through us, and around us. Amen. I want to invite you to take a moment. Think about something in your life that you're wrestling for control over. What is something that maybe you've never fully surrendered to God? Perhaps it's a job, a relationship, a health diagnosis, your finances. And I want to invite you this morning to name whatever that is and release it to God. And in releasing it, you're saying that you trust God's will or God's plan for that person or situation more than your own. If you look at your worksheet this morning, um, when we're praying about God's kingdom, that means that we, when I, when I picture this, when I pray, I first, I, I'm in Father God's lap, and then for this portion of the prayer, I imagine myself, like John does with me, laying his hand up against my heart. And this is a portion of prayer for me where I imagine myself just leaning back and wanting to listen to God's heart. God, what are you up to? God, where is your kingdom advancing? God, what is your will today? And I take a moment and I listen. And then I want to partner with God and ask that God's kingdom would come mm -hmm. anywhere and everywhere that I'm aware or that God shows me that God's kingdom of love and peace lacks. So again, I want to just invite you to think for a moment this morning. Where are you aware of God's kingdom of love 
and peace lacking in your life, in your neighborhood, in your city, in your relationships? And through prayer, we get to partner with God and ask for his oil and his kingdom to come. So just to review, we've got, we've got God's name. The order of this prayer is it's about God's name. Hallelujah. It's about his kingdom. Mm -hmm. And it's about his will. Mm -hmm. And now we transition to give us this day our daily bread. This part of the prayer invites us to freely bring our needs to God. When Jesus spoke of bread, he actually meant real bread, as in the sense to remind us of this idea of our daily provision. Do you know that God has an interest in your everyday things and he wants you to talk to them, to, to talk to him about them? So again, I want you to just take a moment and think about your specific needs for today. What do you need from God today? Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's peace where you're feeling anxiety. Maybe it's wisdom to make a decision. Jesus cares about your needs. And through prayer, we get to tell God what our needs are. And one of my favorite verses says, um, just talks about how when we pursue the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added under us. And so I believe in this prayer, we see that as our, as our main priority is about God's kingdom coming, then I can trust, okay, as I share my daily needs, like God's got it. All right, the next phrase is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Just as real as our need for daily bread or sustenance is, so is our need for daily forgiveness. We often feel the need for food more, but in reality, our need for forgiveness is real, whether it's felt or not. Where do you need forgiveness in your life this morning? Where are you stuck in shame? In this prayer, we're invited to pause and just spend a minute to invite God to search our hearts and to confess any places where we've sinned or to bring those places of shame into the life of God's presence. And as we have been forgiven, then we are free to forgive others. Maybe this morning you need God's help to forgive someone in your life.
And so again, when I'm praying this part of the Lord's prayer, I just pause here and I just say, God, who do I need to forgive today? God, help me to forgive this person. And so maybe this morning God is bringing someone's name to mind that you need to forgive. And as we know and we receive God's forgiveness to us, I have seen in my own life that I am able to freely give what I have received from God. All right, and the last portion is lead us not into temptation. Temptation is literally translated as test. It's not always just um, a solicitation to do evil. God has promised in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 to keep us from any testing that is greater than what we can handle. And so if we truly pray and ask God to lead us not into temptation, I believe that we'll see this lived out in our lives in a few ways. The first is that we won't boast in our own strength because we're so aware of how much we need God's strength in our life. Number two, we will never choose to go into temptation, that we will be so in touch with the presence of God that when we're tempted, that we'll have a heart that actually wants to flee temptation. And number three, we will be people that are leading others into temptation. So when I get to this portion of the Lord's Prayer, again, I pause and this might just be a minute, and I just simply ask God to give me strength for the places in my life where I'm being tested or for the places in my life where I'm aware that I am actively seeking to resist temptation. And so again, what does that look like for you this morning? Where do you need God's strength? Take a moment and you can just write that down on your sheet if God's bringing something to mind. Jesus taught his disciples to pray boldly and wholeheartedly because he wholeheartedly trusted who the disciples were praying to. How we pray has a lot less to do with our technique and much more to do with who we believe is listening when we pray. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he introduced them to a person. Mm -hmm. He pointed the disciples to the Father. And this morning, I intentionally want to keep this message short because I want to create space to introduce some of you, maybe to, for the first time, or reintroduce some of you mm. to the Father. Mm. My prayer this morning is that you would see Father God more clearly.
Some of us, because of our experiences with our earthly father, maybe it's the abandonment that we felt or the rejection that we've experienced in life or just the doubts that we have. It's prevented us from being able to see the fullness of who God is in the richness of his character. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. And you have access to him every day. He wants to talk to you. And he loves when you talk to him. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that? Amen. Our God in heaven loves you. And this morning, I'm going to invite Audrey to come up and just play, play some worship music. And as we go into our, our response time, Ivan and some of our leaders are going to just be right over here by our kitchen table. And um, maybe you want to pray with the leader this morning and just get some prayer for a place where you're aware that you have a block in fully seeing who Father God is in your life. Maybe this morning you just want to sit as Audrey prays worship and just review the Lord's Prayer. And just notice, where do you want to grow in your prayer life? You know, for me, I'm aware that so often I have this order reversed. It's so easy to start with myself and my needs and what I'm going through. And I, I'm having to ask God, God, no, I want to start with it being about your name, your will, your kingdom. That's good. Maybe some of us, it's just that our our desires are disordered. And this morning, we need to let the Lord's Prayer reorient us so that um, we're aligned with how God wants us to pray. That's good. And so, Father God, I pray this morning for my friends that they would be friends of God. Yes, Lord. When we're friends of God, we talk with you regularly. We know the tone of your voice. We trust your character. You're a safe place to go to and to share everything that we're going through. And even when life is hard and you don't answer our prayers when we want you to or how we want you to, we trust so much in your unchanging character that we stay in the conversation with you. And I pray specifically today for friends that are going through really hard times and they might be tempted to want to walk away from a conversation with you. And I ask today, God, for grace for those friends to continue to stay in conversation with you. Amen. Yes, Lord. That they wouldn't walk away, but they'd lean in. That that image of sitting in your lap and putting their head up against their heart, God, that they would draw near. 
as you tell us, God, as we draw near to you, you you draw near to us. And so, God, I'm asking that you'd impart the Father's love this morning to our church community. Teach us to pray, Jesus. Thank you.